The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch. Because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. We're just back from Eurobike, the world's biggest cycling trade show, which takes place in Frankfurt, Germany. Its cavernous halls offer an embarrassment of riches for the tech-hungry cycling nerd and is a must-visit for the newshounds here at Bike Radar. With everything from literally hundreds of tiny original equipment manufacturers to mega brands exhibiting 500-plus different bikes, navigating the Escher-like Messe Hall is a genuinely challenging task. Mercifully for you, our dear listeners, the Bike Radar team had a team on the ground to pick out the very best, most interesting tech from this year's show. And in this episode of the podcast, myself, Warren Roster and Stan Portis will be going over our two favourite bits of tech from the show. But to kick things off, Stan, this was your first ever Eurobike, so give us a brief summary of what the show was like and your early impressions. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about Eurobike, having been in this industry for a while, and they kind of speak about it in hushed tones slightly. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was kind of intrigued to turn up and see what it was like. And I just, you know, it's bewildering. It's so big. It's massive. Each room is like the size of an aircraft hangar. They've all got three floors um, and it takes 15 minutes to walk between each of them. Yeah, it is. You know, you're really not exaggerating. It's genuinely 50 minutes between them. You know, 25 minutes from the door of the hall to get in it is a truly vast, vast place. And just for the the uh, industry people out there, this is the first time it's actually been held in Frankfurt. Prior to this, it was in uh, Zeppelin hangars in Friedrichshafen, another very large trade show venue. And Warren, you've been to every single Eurobike you said apart from this one. Is that correct? I oh, sorry, uh, last yeah. year's rather. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's um, it, it's changed quite a lot over the over the years, but it. I think, you know, it's, it's, you can obviously infer from what Stan was saying. It's here where you realise just how big bikes are. Mm. It's it's a behemoth. You'll see 
brands there that you'll never ever see again. You'll see you'll see bikes that you going. You know, there are brands there are brands there with with which with stands that are the size of a football pitch. And, yeah, and we've never seen them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we've never seen one of those bikes in you know in the real world. So it, it you know it, uh, it the the scope of what's out there is remarkable. If you if you think you've come out with something unique, I would suggest you go to Eurobike first because you'll probably find it. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. I think that for me it was the Bull Stand, which I think is a really large brand on the continent, but one we just do not see here in the UK. Yeah. Genuinely, I'm not exaggerating, probably 500 different models of bike on their stand. Easily, like yeah. It's just impossible to get your head around. Um, and we'll just dive straight in. Warren, what was your kind of first key highlight from this year's show? It's so hard to whittle these things down. Yeah. yeah you know, because it's everything from... The, the smallest, tiniest component, right up to you know some really cool and interesting bikes. I mean, the one bike I did actually actively go and seek out was the the Rondo Michael because mm. we'd done the new story on it. Uh, I'm a big fan of that brand. Um, I like what those guys do. That you know they're a they're a disruptive little brand where the founder seems to end up designing and building bikes he wants to ride and hopes there's an audience for them. A previous bike of the year winner. Yes, with the, with the with the age of. HVRT, which um, I own one. So, cool bikes, very yeah, cool bikes. Very cool bike. But this new, the new, the new milk, I think is. Uh, I, I I couldn't work out what to describe it as when you see it in the flesh. I mean, it, some of the angles on it when you just see flat photos, it kind of you think, oh, it looks a little bit challenging, shall we say? Mm-hmm. But in 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 the you know in the in the carbon, it really works. I mean, uh, I think they might have invented this subgenre of. It's a down country gravel bike. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Goodness me! I but can... I'm kind of excited to ride it. I really am. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a really cool bike, and as Warren said, we do have a full news story on that one on bikeradar.com. Um, head over there because it is really worth a look. And challenging is definitely a. I'm not going to say a generous way to describe it. Is it is an unusual looking bike. For me, alternative drivetrain technologies always get us very, very excited. And while it was nothing quite as extreme as the ceramic speed driven concept bike from a few years ago, the Lal Bikes Supra Drive, which shears sees a rear derailleur of sorts fitted into the inside of Mountain Bike's rear triangle, really caught our eye. This is quite a difficult concept to picture, so I actually sat down with the systems designer, Cedric Everly, to hear how the system works and its claimed advantages. I have stopped by this Nikolai stand and I'm here with Cedric from Lal Bikes who's going to talk us through his Supra drivetrain which has debuted today on one of Nikolai's bikes. I'm not going to begin to try and explain how this drivetrain works. That is definitely the question best answered by Cedric. Cedric, how are you? And tell us about your fancy new drivetrain. I'm doing great. And uh, the Supra drive, it's a new kind of mountain bike drivetrain and it solves the problem the main thing that it solves is the lack of reliability of conventional rear derailleurs and their lack of reliability stems from the fact that they dangle down pretty low to the ground and they tend to get smashed by rocks and roots and all kinds of things so there has been attempts to solve this problem one of the the main approaches that people have tried in the past is gearboxes and here in the Nikolai booth actually we're surrounded by a number of them such as the pinion gearbox and the problem with those is that they tend to add drag and also weight so the Super Drive, it's, uh, the derailleur is tucked up far from the ground, and it, so it's reliable like a gearbox, but it has the efficiency and the weight of a, of a derailleur drivetrain. And the way I've, made it, I've managed to make it tucked up from the ground is the, the, the leap of thinking that I had was to separate the derailleur's two functions. So the derailleurs, the conventional derailleurs, they have two functions. One is to guide the chain from side to side for shifting gears. And the second function is to tension the chain. 
And my idea was to separate the chain tensioner from the part that moves the chain from side to side. So I, I move the chain tensioner to the middle of the bike where it's safe, and there's still a derailleur at the back that shifts the gears. So if you're kind of struggling to imagine that, it is it's essentially, I'm sure I'm butchering this, but kind of a slimmed down derailleur sits within the rear triangle, though it's not, it's not a typical rear triangle. And then up front you have an idler, an idler pulley that acts as the chain tensioner. Exactly. Well, the, the idler pulley, it enables the chain tensioner. So the idler pulley, it redirects the chain so that the chain tensioner has the, mo the, the, the room to move. And so, yeah, that, the idler pulley enables it. And fortunately, many people understand idler pulleys nowadays because high pivot bikes have become popular. You just get hands down better suspension performance when you have the high pivot suspension. So I've just married the, the, the concept of the idler pulley um, or I've, I've harnessed that to improve the drivetrain's reliability and, and create the super drive. And am I correct in saying that this is the first bike that the uh, drivetrain has featured on? No. <laughs> so I built, I built, a, a I have three prototype bikes actually with the drivetrain with the super drive, and this is the first one that's not from me, which is a key detail. Um, I, I've, I'm working with additional bike companies, and I'm willing to work with any other bike companies than Nikolai. But Nikolai, uh, they're currently the ones that are going the fastest and that are very keen, and uh, they they designed and built this frame very quickly. So. It's exciting stuff. Now, I'm sure a question people will be asking, you did sort of touch on it a little bit there, but we have our conventional external derailleurs, we have gearboxes. What is it, just in particular, that really sets your system apart? It's really the, the advantages of derailleur drivetrains combined with the advantages of gearboxes. So you have efficiency and low weight combined with reliability, with something that just doesn't snap when you're out in the middle of nowhere, making you have to walk back home. So it's, it's marrying those advantages. That's, that's what's unique and nothing else achieves that. And just one final question from me. Looking at the drivetrain, I can see you've not necessarily integrated, but you're working with Shimano components, Shimano 12-speed mountain bike components. Is there an intention for yourself or perhaps a partner firm to kind of create your own, for example, shifter or cassette, or are you kind of happy sticking with the likes of Shimano? I'm quite interested in developing uh, a complete super drive and uh, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much. It's a really, really cool system. It's absolutely worth heading to bikeradar.com where we've got full write-up on the drivetrain. It's a very tasty bit of kit, and thank you very much for your time, Cedric. You're welcome. Thanks. The NBA playoffs are here, and we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even the speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Yeah, really cool bit of kit, and we do have a story on that on Bike Radar. Head over there if you want to learn more. Stan, on to you. What was your first highlight of your first ever Eurobike? Um, well, like was there's just was said there's just so much stuff. It's hard to kind of single something out. But 
Um, I spoke to the people, uh, the people at the challenge stand about their new Criterium RS tire, and that was really cool. Uh, that grabbed me as uh, it looks like a really great tire. It looks like a really interesting product, and um, one of the reasons I was interested in it is it's it's looking to be a performance tire, but it's also looking to really up uh, puncture resistance mm-hmm. and maintaining a low rolling speed. And I think kind of seen a few tires like this come out, like there was the Pirelli four season tire a while ago. Mm-hmm. And this tire seems to be angled at a similar market. Um, and yeah, it's, it's also uses a new compound from challenge, which, um, they say helps keep the rolling res- resistance low. Um, but also ups grip in wet and dry conditions, which is pretty cool. I think for me, it's just a great looking tire as well. It's got that really yeah. classic, cool tan wall look, but it's almost like more of a white wall. Yeah, yeah it's called white walls. Mm. A yeah. Strada Bianchi specific tire. <laughs> the Challenge Strada Bianchi was one of my favorite all time tires, mm. to be honest. I've great still, still got one of them, a set of those on one of my bikes. They make a fantastic noise, the Challenge tires. They've got like an open tubular construction. So rather than laying sort of in a tire shape like a vulcanized tire, they're much flatter, which makes. No, no shade to challenge. It does make them quite challenging to fit at times. Yeah. Thanks. Um, but they are really nice tires. They make a fantastic noise when they roll along. Quite quite a hollow sound. Yeah. I'd describe them as a luxury tire. Ooh, very yeah. good. But then talk, you, you mentioned the Pirelli 4, 4S, which um, again is a great tire. I really enjoyed that one. I was talking to the guys at Pirelli, and there's a new Pirelli Race 4S with a new sticky, gummier compound, slightly redesigned siping on it, which mm-hmm. is designed to promote heat in a tire that's going to be used in damp conditions so to get that wow. sort of bit of f1 tech coming into it yeah yeah and that's yeah. the f- that's the first tire they've made in italy yes. in their new factory yeah. as well which is really cool yes i um, think is it, is it a repurposed factory or is it a brand new factory just yeah. for the Pir- pirelli have switched over one of their automotive plants mm. to mm. solely make bicycle tires so it seems pirelli are taking bike tire manufacturing very very seriously and uh oh, sorry go on Stan. i was just going to say going back to challenge and the Strada Bianchi tire, they've also just released a 45 mil version of that, which is wow. very cool. That well, is cool. I would be interested in that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, And what luxury bike will you be fitting these luxury tires to, Stan? The new Basso Diamante. Oh, yeah. Uh, I also I also went and had a look at that. And it, it just, it's sad, but it just looks great. It looks like a really great bike, um, really great race bike. Um, this is the new 2023 version, and they've, updated the geometry and they said it sort of handles a bit better um they've also made the frame i think i think the frame set 760 grams um but they've also tweaked the design because they found that by dropping the weight it kind of made the bike less stiff i guess mm-hmm. so they've lifted the rear seat stays oh my up, goodness which radical departure <laughs> from current trends but it just makes it look like a really really smart bike and you know we've got a news article on site and you can see that the paint job is just really nice as yeah well. it's a lovely sort of like creamy silver to graphite gray fade very very tasty looking bike. have you have you ridden a basso warren yeah yeah i've ridden a few of them oh. and they are yeah they're beautiful they're really really nice they're they're up there with the highest grade you know kind of italian brands they have mm. that mm. they have that sort of sharp stiffness but but they're not hard riding i would mm. say and what I really like about Basso is when you get down to their, even their kind of lower end models, things like the Astra and stuff like that, exceptional. They, they, they've they kept that character that you get on things like the Diamante and the SVs and, and, and you know, they they distill it down into into more affordable packages really well. 
I have to say the uh, new Diamante probably isn't one you could describe as a uh, affordable package, is it, Stan? No, it's got a price tag to match the other Italian brands. It starts at eight thousand three hundred euros with Altegra DIT. <laughs> yeah. So, wow! <laughs> Again, yeah. if you if you want to find some expensive bikes, you know you can definitely find them in Eurobike. Yes, there was no shortage of very very tasty things from wacky custom builds all the way to. Yeah, just very expensive stock bikes. And we do have some of those in our highlights gallery. You just go on the site and look for Eurobike. We kind of have a rolling coverage that we did over the, the course of the show. And there's some really, really nice bikes in there. Yeah. Warren, onto your second highlight. I, I feel shocking whittling you down to just two. But what was your other kind of key highlight from the show? It's so difficult. There was some really cool clothing there from some brands that you wouldn't expect to make such beautiful and understated stuff. Um, so I'll name check Leah on that. Mm-hmm. Um They've got a trail range of clothing which um, wouldn't look out of place uh, for any kind of gravel rider or anything like that. Mm. But but that isn't that isn't. Oh, you just a little less. I just wanted to I just wanted to plug that one in because I I was really impressed with what they were doing because <laughs> um, they were a brand that you know just a few short years ago was very moto styled yeah, and that yeah, sort yeah. of stuff and they just seem to have. They they almost look kind of Scandinavian now in their kind of subtle understatedness. Pop like uh I was thinking more like Arctrix or mm. you know, some of those um, you know, super expensive outdoor brands. They've Ooh. they've done a very nice job. But um yeah, this is tough. Um I'm a huge fan of 3D printed saddles, mm. I have to say. Uh big fan of the specialized, really like physics adaptive, and now two of the other biggest players in the market with Cello Italia and San Marco both brought new um 3d printed versions of two of the best kind of um uh current trend saddles out there so seller italia had the slr boost but in a 3d printed version and san marco had their short fit in a in a 3d printed the version. slr boost is like a short nose saddle isn't it yes yes yeah, yeah. yeah. as is the yeah, yeah the san marco short fit as the name would suggest yeah, yeah. But they're both using a printing technology that isn't the same as Specialized and Physique, who use carbon mm-hmm. um, to actually do their their printing. This is a new 3D printing system that's made in Italy. So, you know, these these are all, everything about them is is very local. And, you know, I just had a bit of a squeeze and a feel around mm-hmm. and thing. And, the, and you can see that the Seller Italia, the SLR Boost, they what they've gone for is... Um, it's kind of a bit firmer. It's obviously that much more pitched at, at races, whereas the San Marco short fit seems to be more of a, an endurance rider's kind of shape. So it's a little bit more sculpted, a little bit more um, shapely, I would say. And the, I guess, I would, you know, the, the squeezeability yeah. running throughout that 3D printing, you can't really say durometer or because or, it doesn't really, because it's not a, you know, it's not a foam, was vastly different and you know, some of the like the softest bits where, you know, your soft bits are mm-hmm. were incredibly, you know, incredibly soft. I'm really intrigued to try both of them just to see how they how they compare to specialists, how they compare to physique. Have you used a 3D printed saddle stand, or am I right in saying you perhaps have one that you haven't used yet? I have one. I haven't used it yet. Um, you know, classically I had to I've had to photograph it before I've used it and I haven't managed to fit it to a bike <laughs> yet. But yeah, I mean it, it feels you know, following from what Was is saying, it's I think it's the physic argo adaptive. And you know each section of the of the saddle. You're just pressing it, you can feel that it's kind of structured in a slightly different way. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, I'll profess to the first time I saw these saddles come out, I was a little bit skeptical. But I've been riding on the specialized Roman Evo with mirror saddle, and it is fantastic. It's genuinely fantastic. Not the sort of shape of saddle I typically get on with, 
Um, it's uh, quite long and narrow, which is fairly old school these days, but right, genuinely a fantastic saddle. I, I think there's a real bright fe- future in 3D printing for um, bike tech, which is a wonderful segue into my second highlight, which was uh, Elastic Interface's new N3X chamois pad, which is the brand claims the world's first 3D printed chamois pad. Um, it's very, if you've kind of seen the 3D printed saddles, it is quite a similar structure. It's that kind of open lattice, but with the actual pads, you know, it's it's covered with them. But the um, the brand claims that the chamois pad, the new 3D printed one, gives, uh, much like saddles, the opportunity to tune the density or the squishiness of the, the pad to a greater degree than a traditional foam pad um, allows. And in the hand, like it really does feel quite distinctively different to a uh, foam pad. But the other thing that really sort of caught my interest with this is because it is essentially like a rubbery plastic material, it's completely hydrophobic, which means that the saddle, uh, the seat pad will not absorb any water. So if you're sweating, in theory, you're going to have a much drier, more comfortable chamois pad. So yes, there's going to be advantages in terms of squishiness comfort, but also from a sort of like hygiene and cleanliness perspective, like in theory, this is going to wick better than foam. Um, the brand claims that it's a patented technology. They're making it in-house with kind of specially designed machinery. And while they haven't said what brands will be specking on it, I think it's pretty safe to assume we're going to see this on premium products and the likes of like Seven Mesh, Asos, Eliel, and some other kind of key brands like that. So one I'm really genuinely quite excited to try out as a, as a fan of 3D printed um, saddles. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the other thing on that when I was talking to the guys at Elastic Interface is that 3D printed material they're using is a biomass material, so it's totally recyclable. Yeah, and, which is cool. Which is so much better than, you know, your average kind of, you know, plastic-derived foams and things, which mm. are genuinely uh, landfill material, unless you make them into laptop bags, of course. Well, yes, that was something I was going to mention. <laughs> uh, we all got, uh, you know, you get lots of bizarre freebies quite often at these trade shows. But I think without question, the best one I've ever received is the laptop case that's made of offcuts and sort of reject chamois pads from Elastic Interface. It is just as bizarre as it sounds. We do have a photo of that on the Bike Radar Instagram account. I urge you to take a look because it's quite a strange thing. Will that be one you're going to regularly use, Stan? Yeah, I think so. I mean, well, my only because my other laptop case is completely past it. Um, <laughs> it looks like a pair of old bib shorts, so sort of yeah. circular thing there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and finally, Stan, what was your kind of second highlight from the show? You did sort of go a little bit of the basso there challenge, but I'll give you another. Can you pick out anything else? I'm not going to pick out one product, but I'm just going to pick out the OEM room. Mm. It's just, you know, what like was was saying at the beginning of this podcast, there's so much mad stuff at Eurobike and there's so much of the industry you just have no idea about, mm. even for us, that, and we're fairly clued in about what's happening. And you're going around these rooms and people are selling tubing, weird bike parts, knockoff knock off bike parts. <laughs> um, terribly named stuff as well. Terribly named really stuff. Really bad, bad translations. Yeah. Very amusing for us, but maybe unfortunate for English-speaking markets. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. I, I think I've said this to all you before, but like for me, e-bikes, quite a big thing, clearly. And what really struck me is that the sort of motor components in particular, there's just like genuinely hundreds and hundreds of stalls selling, you know, essentially the same product. And it doesn't feel like there's been that kind of consolidation in the OEM market that we've perhaps seen in more established, like essentially non-assisted bikes. And yeah, just the scale of the OEM room is is baffling. 
Do you see anything weird in the OEM room you liked, was? I don't think I want to mention the name of it because it just, It was quite funny. It was. It was yeah, a, we'll, yeah, we'll behave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's just a kind of brief summary of our our key highlights from your bike, but there's a, a lot more. <laughs> there's a lot more we could have covered. I mean, there's only one thing that I would... Oh, you know, go on, as we were talking 3D printing, um, yeah. and obviously when we're talking on this, we're talking about, you know... 8,000 8, euro frames, and, mm. you know, super, super expensive stuff. So I just wanted to give a shout out to the coolest of cool British brand, Hope. Now, Hope could go out and make all the tools and all the widgets you need to be servicing their brakes and, you know, be charging you the earth for it. But instead, what they've done is they've got open source, downloadable, 3D printable tools. Mm. And... You know, they'll be going up on their website soon. So if you're running hope brakes and you think, oh, I just need one of those pads, I need that pad splitter, I need that, I need this, you know, I need the plugs for when, you know, when I'm bleeding them through and servicing them. You don't have to buy them. You just download, you know, you download the file, get down to a sixth form college, get down to a tech college, <laughs> yeah. steal their 3D printer and you can print your own tools. I, I really love that. I really, really do. I, yeah. I, I think there's definitely legs and in more investigation as to where 3D printing is going to go with cycling. It feels like a... Like obviously in the very, I don't know, like the uh, airline industry, I know 3D printing has been quite important there because it allows people to make really high performance, lightweight parts. And that's sort of true of cycling as well. But I think these more small scale applications where it's either going to be more accessible or just means you don't have to do really complex forgings, which frankly, most bike companies can't afford. I, I really think 3D printing is the kind of next frontier for high and low end tech and cycling. Yeah, big shout out to Hope. That's just a quick rundown of some of our personal heights, as I mentioned, but there is tons, tons more on Bike Radar. Do head over there if you want to see all our Eurobike coverage. Um, I trust, I promise you, you will not go away unsatisfied. Thank you very much, Warren and Stan. We're going to go have a nice sleep. We're just back from Germany and uh, we'd like to go have a shower and a lie down. So until next time, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 